It's showtime. Okay, Tokyo, South America, Australia, France, Germany, UK, Africa. Here we go. Head on with Bob Kincaid. Three hours of conversation, cussing and a discussing with America's only born and bred Southern liberal talk host. Head on with Bob Kincaid is brought to you each night by Coal River Mountain Watch. Coal River Mountain Watch invites you to become part of the solution, part of a sustainable future, part of the uprising against mountaintop removal. Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. And now, from high in the hills of beautiful West Bicod, Virginia, here's Bob Kincaid on the Head On Radio Network. Well, howdy. Here we go, off and running on this sixth day of February 2024. This is the Horn. Head on dot live is where you'll find us on the interweb too. That's where you go if you'd like to be part of the Mary Lacky Zany Real Time Madcap Multimedia Extravaganza. That is the Horn chat room in the three hours in which this program is live, Monday through Friday, five to eight p.m. Eastern Standard Time, two to five p.m. Pacific Standard Time. All time zones in between and the Great Globe Round. And whatever time it is when you're listening to the podcast, if you're listening to the podcast, pretty please. Post a review, like each episode, make sure you're subscribed, and that way uh, maybe it'll help. Well, it will. It'll help other people find the community, and we'll make new friends. I think that would be great. Hi, I'm Robin, and if, in fact, you would like to participate in the aforementioned Mary Wacky Zany, well, feel free to uh, bebop on over to headon.live. Click on chat room, pick yourself a screen name and a password, and Jump in there and you'll be greeted by Squeaky and Ralphs and Anatole and those are the early arrivers, the people who got here before the tardy bell. And uh, at some point you'll hopefully be moderated by someone besides me because I am an incompetent chat room moderator. Yes, it's not so much incompetence as it is that well, I don't really know how the chat room works. And Wait, that's competence, isn't it? And uh, not really in the chat room that much during the program because I'm bouncing around among the God alone knows how many tabs I have open with different stories for the evening. Mercy sakes alive, aren't there a bunch of stories for today? And they're almost all fun or infuriating. But yes, uh, I'm not in the chat room. So come on by if you want to, but uh, every pro- there, there he is, um, the Horn Chief Agronomist, Chief Mathematician, Bud Trimmer Emeritus, and Zimmergist Extraordinaire Roger in Oregon has ridden to the rescue, and now the chat room can be appropriately moderated. Our staves in there, so uh, come on, come on by. Uh, the uh, conversation is fine. Every program here at the Horn begins with gratitude, and this program is no different. And so, in consequence of that, we say thank you to our sixth day of the month subscribers via PayPal. 
And that means thank you uh, to our buddy Don in West Tennistan. Thank you to Michael in Chicago, formerly of Madison. Thank you to Charlene in Rogues Island. Thank you, John. Thank you all for being part of the part, the effort that keeps this program on the air by being partial sponsors. Thank you as well to uh, Ralphs, who jumped in. Uh, or I mean, not Ralphs. Uh, Shorty. Shorty in L.A. Ah, thank you, Shorty. Thank you so much. So there is... A grand total of $35 remaining on uh, Darlene in Connecticut's challenge from yesterday. Thank you for making it, Darlene. And that would get us even with yesterday. And then the fundraising goal for today. So let's just say that uh, the fundraising goal for today, which is rather a momentous uh, day in terms of just content and news, we'll call it 335. 3:35 and uh, every last bit of that will yeah, go to bills. Uh, thank you so very much in advance. Oh, now, I know where I want to start, and I presume you want to start there too, because, well, if you're listening live, you know what the big news was today. I was uh, pottering around the house when I got a call from... Uh, Miss Terry, she had been monitoring uh, monitoring the feed, and she just called and said, it's out. And I was like, holy crap. And she sent me the link, and I said, I'll call you back in a couple of minutes, and we'll get to get all this sorted out. Yes, the circuit court, United States Circuit Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit, uh, three brilliant women, issued their ruling today in regard to Nitwit's Nero claim of, I've got the total immunity. That's why I got the booster. It gave me the immunities. <sighs> I kid. I kid. But it, it was almost it was almost that, his argument. Well, he, as the client, drove the argument, and his pettifoggers were left to bear the burden of looking like complete and total dipshits. And so that begin, that, that gets us to a beginning point with uh, Matt in San Francisco, presidential immunity. Matt said, so I read the entire opinion? I did too. Seemed to me that that's some highfalutin language that was used to tell idiot Trump, no, dumbass, you're not immune. And every argument you make, you're misunderstanding what's written. Can you even read and comprehend what's written? There are myriad reasons why you're wrong and a dumbass. So concludes this court on the 6th day of February, 2024. And I loved the ending of the, the opinion. So ordered. Which is right up there with Hugh Brenner saying, So let it be written. So let it be done. <laughs> Any chance to do my Yule Brenner impression? Ooh. Well, I'll just enjoy a little giggle there. Yeah. But Matt is largely correct. Among other things, uh, I had been—I'd uh, I'd said previously 
that I wanted the D.C. Circuit to take as much time as they wanted. Because I want this thing jammed up and jelly tight. Is that, is that, is that the phrase? I mean, I wanted, I wanted this thing to have chains and padlocks on it. And, and, and bows. And I wanted it, well, I wanted it to have a lead pipe cinch to it. And those three district court judges delivered. The first thing right off the bat that I noticed was that little Latin phrase, per curiam. And per curiam just means by the court, which means that there, it was a unanimous opinion. All three of the judges were like, well, we're just looking at each other. Is he really this stupid? He is really this stupid. My God, what a dipshit. I know, what a dumbass, right? I mean, even, and, and their analysis was thorough and deep and smart. And it was, it was a 57-page read, and I read every word of it. After when you've spent a lot of years reading that kind of stuff, you kind of get used to just letting your eyeballs slide over the citations. But I didn't let them slide that much because I couldn't help noticing uh, that those three judges, oh, you are clever ones, those three judges peppered it with quotes from the likes of Neil Gorsuch, and Brat Kavanaugh and Fat Dead Tony Scalia and James Madison and Alexander Hamilton and Sam Samuel Johnson's Dictionary of the English Language and they took every they took every assertion because, you see, Nitwit Nero was the appellant in this. No, not repellent. He is repellent. He's repulsive. No, the appellant. He was the one bringing the appeal. The, we, the people of the United States, seeking to form that more perfect union and achieve justice, etc. We were the appellee. And we heard the audio from the argument a while back. And none of the judges were impressed. You're kidding, right? Now, we're going to call a little recess while we go out and smoke cigarettes behind the courthouse and laugh at you fuckers for a little while. Oh, you're absolutely true, uh, right, Ralph. Sir Ralph said, I'm sure that decision pissed him off. Oh, it did, and I know for a fact. Because at the very same time that the order had been issued there was a press release from the Trump 2024 campaign statement from Trump campaign on DC Court of Appeals immunity ruling if immunity is not granted and, and this is hilarious because the, the, at, at the same time he sent this out they had published the opinion saying that the very argument he was making was 
specious, incorrect, impossible, bad, and, of course, last but not least, really, really, really dumb. I mean, these... And I'm going to take a moment here, just for me. Because every argument put forward by the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals was one that I have made during the course of this program over the last several months. It's just that I use language that is most commonly used by common Americans in their common American lives, whereas those three judges used really pretty fancy legal terms. And so, but, but lawyers understand when they read an opinion, they know when they're being called a dipshit. And in that opinion, they got called a dipshit several times. But regardless, in his statement, statement from Trump campaign on D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals immunity ruling, if immunity is not granted to a president, believe me, every future president who leaves office will be immediately indicted by the opposing party. Without complete immunity, a president of the United States would not be able to properly function. Deranged Jack Smith's... Ha ha ha! Deranged Jack Smith's prosecution of President Trump for his presidential official acts is unconstitutional under the doctrine of presidential immunity and the separation of powers. Prosecuting a president for official acts violates the Constitution and threatens the bedrock of our republic. President Trump respectfully disagrees. Yeah, that's why you used deranged Jack Smith. You're so respectful, you fuckwit. Respectfully disagrees with the D.C. Circuit's decision and will appeal it in order to safeguard the presidency and the Constitution. Uh, it is sent out under the name of... Uh, Stephen Chung, Trump campaign spokesman, because it used deranged Jack Smith, so therefore it can't be sent out under Nitwit Nero's own dirty name. Mm. And, and like I said, what's hilarious about that is that every blessed thing he mentioned, uh, well, the three judges were just standing there with uh, double-barreled side-by-side browning shotguns, and one of those little launchers, and every now and then they'd take one of his ideas, write it on a clay pigeon, and say, pull, and just blast it to dust right out of the air. It was a good opinion. <laughs> he knows. He knows he's toast. And point of fact... He was uh, uh, whining and fundraising off of it almost immediately. It was literally minutes after the appellate court slapped him around a little bit, put some stank on it. And so while that was the issue... Uh, that, that was the way they framed the issue in his email. Over on Tripe Social, he triped, 
Moments ago, federal judges just ruled that I have no presidential immunity. They won't stop until the MAGA movement is erased. Joe Biden has weaponized the entire federal government against us. No. No, dipshit. The government hasn't been weaponized at all, but even if it had, it's weaponized against you, not Emory and Marveline sitting in their matching Barca loungers in their single wide down at the Ballerina Swan Lake Trailer Court and Country Club. They'll never stop targeting us, but I know with your support at this very moment, we will win. No matter how many vicious lies and attacks they throw our way, President Trump will never surrender our great country to the left's tyranny. We're counting on your support to finish what we started. Together we will dismantle the deep state with your retirement money. Jesus. I'm, I'm sure the walls that I, I, I don't know if it's Magaloco or... Uh, uh, that tacky-ass penthouse, but the the help can't get the ketchup off the walls before the, before the next deluge comes. It's like a tomato monsoon in there. Decision reaction. Lee in New York says, I would not be surprised if the first reaction was, Damn, I missed my putt. Now I have to bend down to put the ball in the hole for Eagle. Signed Lee, non-golfer in New York City. For a non-golfer, you have a very nuanced understanding of the game, Lee. That may very well have been the case. Uh-oh, Emilio's playing playing funsies with Latin. Para prima facie ad obvium dipex grita. <laughs> That's not even pig Latin, and it's pig Latin. Wonder where that cash is gonna go. I wonder how long I wonder how much he'll make. But there were there are a number of factors to be sort of gleaned from this opinion. One is that as usual, he has terrible lawyers. John Lauro, the lawyer from Tampa which is notably not famous for providing a lot of highfalutin lawyering to the D.C. bar, was there. He was kind of the lead on things, and he was terrible. And at some point in time, he may become MAGA. More attorneys getting attorneys. But from an, an, the opinion was a magisterial discourse on basically American constitutional law. They went all the way back to Marbury versus Madison for this one, which is kind of the mother of constitutional law. 
it was interesting that uh, an amicus curiae brief was filed on behalf of former Attorney General, here's a blast from your past, Edwin Meese. Uh, you'll, you'll recall Ed Meese, the, well, Edwin Meese the third. Is that the same Ed Meese that was the porn-obsessed Attorney General, or is he just long since dead? And law professor Stephen G. Calabresi and Gary S. Lawson, that's Lawson, not Larson, uh, the amicus curiae brief was not a, uh, their amicus curiae brief was not a cartoon uh, featuring talking cattle or dinosaurs. Oh, no, that's just one of those little Mexican mariachi players. And odds are, Slim, he's more scared of you than you are him. Sorry. But it is telling that it was per curiam, because that means all three judges were in complete agreement, which makes it Interesting when Trump's pettifoggers ask for an en banc hearing from the entire D.C. circuit. They may decide to, or they may just say, no, 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 we've got a unanimous decision over here. There's nothing to hear. And that is entirely within the discretion of the court. As far as timing is concerned, Orange Julius Geezer has until Valentine's Day to file his notice of appeal. And it's gotten me thinking a little bit strategically. But before I jump in that, uh, just... uh, One quick observation about procedure here, and I don't know, uh, maybe Steve in New York or Billable Rick or Darlene, um, chime in and let me know what you think. Typically, a case goes to the Supreme Court by a process, well, one of the primary avenues for cases to get to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court does have some original jurisdiction. You can just start right there, but they seldom do that. But it's a process called a petition for, let's pronounce this correctly, certiorari, which is Americanized into being pronounced certiorari. And that's the means by which the, you one asks the court, uh, uh, an appellant asks the court to hear their case. Okay, so that is the Ed, uh, porn-obsessed, porn-sick Ed Meese, who was the uh, amicus curiae with a couple of law professors there. Hmm. We'll get to that. But you've got to, generally speaking, you argue a petition for cert, and then the, and then the court decides whether to accept or reject the petition in other words, whether to accept and hear the case or reject it and let the underlying court ruling stand. And what we have to understand is that this case is a case, is what is referred to in Supreme Court lore and procedure, 
as a case of first impression. That may, and, 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 you know, there really aren't that many of them. I mean, the Supreme, the, the Supreme Court's been around for a couple of hundred years now, and they've heard everything, but they've never heard this. And the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals ruling notes that this is, in fact, a case of first impression. No court has ever been asked to actually rule upon the criminal charges against a former president or whether a former president can be criminally charged for acts undertaken whilst he was in office. And the answer, the conclusion they reached today was, yes, he can. And like I said, they provided a solid foundation for even our most puissant dread sovereign supreme Catholic majesties to go, yeah, he can. Unlike this three-judge ruling in the D.C. Circuit, whatever happens in the Supreme Court will not be unanimous. For the good of the country... It should be. It should be a nine, well, in my little world, it should be a six-nothing decision. But that might not even reach quorum. I say that it should be six-nothing because uh, Ann's boy Neil Gorsuch and brat beer and brat Kavanaugh and Amy Covid Barrett, the handmaid, probably should not participate because they owe their very existence to geezer disgustus. I, however, have no misgivings about the fact that they will ignore the ethics of it all. and uh, sit on the case. Clarence pubes on the Coke can Fappy Thomas, whose own wife may be co-conspirator number six, yet, who was in fact up to her eyeballs in the insurrection, should not be on the case. That may be the way they find their way out of this. But if they do... The ruling below stands. The D.C. Circuit ruling stands. But I don't expect that. It's a case of first impression. And for the Supreme Court, which is very, very good at ducking cases, the Supreme Court prefers not to act. And in fact, on Thursday, the Colorado ballot... 14th Amendment, Section 3, 14th Amendment case will be heard in the Supreme Court. And I fully expect them to drop 10 and punt. Uh, Randy Radar says, I thought the prosecutor was going to bypass the lower courts. Uh, He tried. He asked the the Supreme Court to take it up. straight away from Judge Chutkin's court, straight to the Supreme Court, and the Supreme Court said no. And I understand, and I don't blame them for it. 
not in the least. Because it is a case of first impression. This issue has never been ruled upon before. And so you want an absolutely neat and tidy appellate record to go up. So that eventually when he does lose, it went narrow, it will be after every every possible piece of due process has been observed. In fact, that may be why once the en banc petition is filed, remember, Nitwit Nero doesn't care how long it's delayed, he would prefer it be delayed until the sun burns out, and a hearing en banc would burn a little bit more clock. Trying to keep the ball in bounds so the clock will run. Uh, thank you so much, Charlene in Rogues Island. We're down to just $300 to go now. Uh, and uh, Darlene's, uh, Darlene in Connecticut's Hey, Hey, Ho, Ho, uh, Sporkfoot Has Got to Go Challenge has been met. Thank you, Charlene. But again, the Supreme Court's never heard anything like this. They've heard things that are similar to it. And I was right again when I said a while back that, yes, they did bypass the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals with uh, U.S. v. Nixon, but that was a civil case. And a criminal case requires the courts of this country to be at their absolute most prudent and most careful. And so that's why they didn't pull a U.S. v. Nixon on this one, I suspect. They want, to, they, they want Nitwit Nero to have every opportunity to present every dumbass argument that he has. And there were some real Lulus in here. We had an idea of what it was going to be based on the oral arguments. Things like, well, they didn't convict me in my impeachment, so they can't charge me now. And this circuit court panel dug down into freshman logic to say that if P then, I mean, this is literally what it says, if P then Q, does not it does not necessarily follow then, if not P then not Q. Which is absolutely true. And so the D.C. Circuit has now held that no, uh, you do, uh, an official having been impeached and acquitted in impeachment is not, therefore, immune from being charged criminally. And there are several dirty judges along the way whose name stands for that principle. Uh, What's that, Uh, Dave in the Blind? Uh, the divine pronouncement. Message from the desk of the orange god emperor, Donald J. Trump. The J stands for John. Attention all human beings in the world. You may kiss my ass after you kiss the ass of Vladimir Putin. He's taught me to be a dictator. And I'm going to be a dictator whether you like it or not. So I don't care what those three women in D.C. say. What do they know? They're women. Now back to your regularly scheduled program. Hey girl, Donald's got an issue. There are four women on the court. Well, three and a moving cow if you count Amy COVID Barrett. Three of them will say he's out of his mind. One of them will say, oh, please spank me, Daddy, after she gets permission from her husband. 
because she's a handmaid. Uh, your buddy, Dave, in the blind. Yeah. <laughs> you probably, yeah. God damn it, if those had been men, they don't understand what it's like to be a man, a man's man like me. Roy Cohn taught me really what it was all about to be a man's man. Emilio. P.S. I did not pee on the cube. Believe me. <clears throat> See yourself out, Emilio. <laughs> Cases of first impression. Lee in New York says that. Ugh. The first impression is of a guy who thinks he looks like Elvis. Yeah, there's that too. By the way, the uh, uh, Brother Deacon Asa informs me that uh, Jimmy Kimmel's latest nickname for Mar-a-Lago is Disgraceland. I'm still partial to Sleezer's Palace myself. Oh, why didn't you mention that earlier? I love Sleezer's Palace. Magalardas, Magaloco, Sleezer's Palace, Disgraceland. The jokes just write themselves. So back to Ed Mace for a minute. Uh, the court took time in this opinion to address their amicus curiae brief saying that the entire prosecution is illegal because Congress didn't create Jack Smith as a special prosecutor. And they said, well, neither party raised this one, so we're just going to ignore it. But, yeah, yeah, they did make that, make that argument. But all of the arguments, if you go and read it, it boils down to this. All of the arguments basically result in a judicial system that is entirely gutted if his argument carries the day. And as for presidents leaving office and facing criminal prosecution... They didn't bring it up, but they could have. Dim leader, George W. Bush, along with shoot you in the face Count Dicula and their minions and henchmen, started an illegal war that slaughtered over a million innocent non-combatant Iraqis and that's without even taking into account the number of Afghan wedding parties that were hellfire missiled by drone strikes during our 18 years in that godforsaken place. So I don't think and, and remember Barack Obama said uh, when, when he took office on January 20th, 2009, and people were clamoring, saying, prosecute the war criminals. Barack Obama famously said, well, we have to look forward and not back. And here we are. I think, I think Nancy Pelosi said the same thing.
but no, I mean, there, there was, they did raise the issue of Gerald Ford and Richard Nixon and the pardon that Gerald Ford issued for Richard Nixon, in which Nixon accepted and noted that that was a tacit admission on the part of both men that former presidents can, in fact, be charged with crimes after they leave office. And boy, could Richard Nixon have been charged with a whole bunch of crimes. But this may very well be something along the lines of the same opinion that gets issued by the by the Supreme Court. But I want to go back to the to the observation I was making previously. Case of first impression. Hold on. Wait. What? Yeah, I think Nancy Pelosi said the same thing. Brother Deacon Asa, who's brought his A game this evening. You meant to say Nikki Haley, I'm sure. Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. But the question of certiorari is interesting because certiorari, the, the, the certiorari process delays the ultimate adjudication of the issue while the Supreme Court decides whether to hear it or not. Like I said, Nitwit Nero's lawyers would be fine if they wanted to spend the next two years deciding whether or not to, uh, to, to grant the petition for certiorari. So their notice of appeal has to be filed by February 14th, a week from tomorrow. And I got to wondering, because I'm, I'm at sea on this one, I don't know the answer. Upon filing notice of appeal, could... Jack Smith's prosecutorial team say, cool, case of first impression, only makes sense that you would hear this case. So we're going we're gonna to concede the petition for certiorari. Now, get deciding. Let's go to the briefing schedule. That might be a little bit of a tell if, the, if our most puissant dread sovereign Supreme Catholic Majesties decide, no, we want to do certiorari. Then you'll know that they, too, want to participate in the delay. But it would seem, it would seem uh, well, a matter of judicial economy to not waste the court's time on a petition, a petition for cert of a case of first impression. I don't know. Maybe it, maybe maybe I was cutting constitutional law class that day in the second year, year of law school, but I don't think it was. I think opposing counsel can concede anything, and conceding conceding the validity of the appeal via certiorari might be the smartest way to keep this sucker moving. Interesting, huh? Oh, the things I think about. But the bottom line with this is that this question has been answered, answered satisfactorily, and the Supreme Court needs to not dawdle in its analysis. The work's already been done for them. Now, I'm sure, I'm sure, 
because, among other things, Clarence Pubes on the Coke Can, Fappy Thomas, is the single most crooked person ever to sit on the Supreme Court bench. Crooked as a dog's hind leg. Crooked is the road that I have to take down the mountain to go to Charleston, and it is crooked. Winding road, next seven miles, and it looks like snake's back. A couple of kiss-your-ass turns, and one of them looks like a can full of worms, and another one looks like a malaria germ. But I'm sure that he and his buddy, Sammy Badbreath, are busily crafting their idea of an opinion that places both of their proboski uh, up the orange and stinky of their god emperor. Well, I went at dinner in the Eastern Standard Time Zone. Damn it, Roxanne. Maybe even Anne's boy Neil. But it's going to be hard for Anne's boy Neil to disagree with his own principles enunciated and quoted in the D.C. Circuit opinion. And, of course, um, fat dead Tony Scalia was daddy for Fappy Thomas. So he's going to have to take issue with his daddy. But all told, we should probably have a decision. You know, the original trial date for this was March, March 4th. And if that was still in full force and effect, they would need to get an opinion out before then. Could happen. But it doesn't seem likely. At most, I think at the earliest... Uh, it's a, it's it's an it's an incredibly optimistic hope that he will be going to trial in May, maybe June. Remember, the maggot convention is in Milwaukee in August. Is it? I think. Yeah. Jesus, Asa, while we're at it ruining people's dinners, do you think Trump gets swamp ass? I think that question's already been answered disgustingly and satisfactorily. Uh, what's the line? He smells like uh, cosmetic fragrance, body odor, and fecal material? Yeah, dinner in the Eastern Standard Time Zone is ruined. And I've probably done a Damn fine number on Billable Rick's snack. I highly recommend, if you if you enjoy this kind of thing, uh, just as Matt in San Francisco did, read the whole opinion. Uh, it really doesn't take that long. But the, you'll, you'll see that their reasoning is sound and solid and rather unassailable. The double jeopardy discussion was hilarious, and it was exactly what I said previously, 
that if each crime alleged has an element different from the other crime alleged, it ain't double jeopardy. But beyond that, double jeopardy doesn't attach because, and they went all the way back to the framers for this one, impeachment is not a criminal matter. It is a political matter. And one of the things that I found more in, uh, more interesting was that they were at pains, this three-judge panel was, to go over the history of impeachment and to explain to the nation that impeachment was a concept considered by the framers based upon a concept of impeachment as previously enunciated in Mary Oldie Engeland. They went on to note that in Mary Oldie Engeland, impeachment could include forfeiture of assets, forfeiture of lands, forfeiture of titles, uh, criminal convictions, and up to and including execution. How about that? And they didn't just say that once or twice. They said it repeatedly as if to say, Hey, orange shitbird, be glad that you're not subject to having your head lopped off and put on a pike. Which harkens back to Ann Coulter's statement of yesterday's program in which she replied to some maggot asking, What could Donald Trump do to rehabilitate himself more? And Ann Coulter replied, he could die. But yeah, I think it was at least three times in the opinion the judges said, yeah, but over in England, they, uh, they, 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 were, they were into cutting the heads off people they impeached. But they said over here, uh, the, the framers wisely contemplated it and decided they didn't want to give the Senate of the United States the power to cut off people's heads. Oh, thank you. Irish Dave, serving as the Maggot Convention Ad Hoc Research Committee, uh, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, July 15th to 18th, 2024. So, if this is supposed to happen before the convention, then if the trial is slated for around six weeks, which is what we heard, then, yeah, this trial needs to get started somewhere in early May devoutly to be wished but yeah telling uh, telling the orange skid mark that in England he could have had his head chopped off was I thought a uh, dainty touch and a reminder of uh the level of gravity that attaches to this prosecution. They noted as well that he was impeached on one count of uh, insurrection in the House. And then they burned a bunch of maggot senators right to the ground 
That was a that was the damnedest thing. The opinion quotes several maggot senators, including Mitch. McConnell, all of whom said, well, we can't convict him here because, well, if it's bad enough, there's a criminal process and he can be indicted. And this panel made a whole bunch of senators look like a whole bunch of dumbasses. Trying to find the footnote here because they, they, oh my God, they name checked them. It was pretty stark and pretty amazing. They went through the whole ministerial versus executive functions, discretionary functions versus ministerial. Yeah, you might recall that word comes around in discussing uh, Mike, Vice Pre- former Vice President Mike Pencilneck Geek's duties in regard to certifying the vote as purely ministerial. There is no discretion involved. They went to pains to say he is not President Trump. On January 20th, 2021, he became former President Trump and returned to civilian status. A lot of scrolling going on to get down to it. But this... this this list will send the maggot senators down in a certain amount of infamy for their perfidy. Ooh, I'm getting a little motion sick watching all this text fly by. There it is. Footnote 13. Even if there is an atextual basis for treating presidents differently from subordinate government officials, as former President Trump suggests, his proposed interpretation still would leave a president free to commit all manner of crimes with impunity, so long as, well, he planned on committing them with a gun. Remember, I could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and never lose a bit. So long as he's not impeached and convicted, former President Trump's interpretation, every time they say it, that had to sting also would permit the commission of crimes not readily categorized as impeachable, i.e. treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And if 30 senators are correct, crimes not discovered until after a president leaves office, see USS, uh, see U.S. Constitution Article 2, Section 4, see also E.G. 167, Congress, S. 736, Daily Edition, February 13, 2021. Statement of Senate Minority Leader McConnell, Uh, We have no power to convict and disqualify a former office holder who is now a private citizen. Footnote 13. See also statements of Senators Barrasso, Blunt, Brown, 
Capito, Cornyn, Kramer, Crapo, Danes, Ernst, Fisher, Grassley, Hoven, Hyde Smith. Last time we heard from her, she was wearing a Confederate Kepi cap and holding a Confederate musket down at Jefferson Davis's slave plantation. Inhofe, Kennedy, Lankford, Lee, Lummis, Moran, Portman, Rish, Rounds, Rubio, Shilby, Sullivan, Thune, Tillis, Tuberville, and Wicca. Reads like a Confederate who's who. So, of course, this has been a topic of discussion all day. Lisa Rubin is quite uh, good over on MSNBC, their legal analyst. And uh, I loved how one of the things she said was exactly what I did. I note going through an opinion like this, one thing a lawyer like me does is look at the footnotes first. Well, I'm not a lawyer, but I look at the footnotes first, too. That's where the fun is. That this just opened up a whole can of worms if he isn't given immunity. Did the judges here effectively shut that down? I think they did, um, Anna, in two ways. One, they essentially said that if they were to accept his argument of total immunity, and I'm looking at the opinion now on page 40, that it would effectively shut down the entire government. That presidential immunity, I'm reading here on page 40, against federal indictment would mean that as to the president, Congress could not legislate, the executive could not prosecute, and the judiciary could not review. We cannot accept that the office of the presidency places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. On the other thing that I want to bring to your and our viewers' attention is that Trump made a calculated, risky move here in his arguments. He argued that a provision of the Constitution known as the Impeachment Judgment Clause was part of what protected him from prosecution. However, this court is saying on page 41, the strongest evidence against his claim of immunity is that same clause, the impeachment judgment clause, because it says that judgment in cases of impeachment shouldn't go further than essentially removing a person from office, but that if convicted, the party nevertheless shall be liable and subject to indictment, trial, judgment, and punishment. And it's that nevertheless that's doing a whole lot of work there and that this court found was really important. They also sort of in, in finding that that impeachment judgment clause doesn't do much for former President Trump, they're also really persuaded by real-life history and the words of even some of Trump's political allies. You know, I note, going through an opinion like this, one of the things a lawyer like me does is look at the footnotes first, because you can learn as much from the footnotes as you do from the main text. And indeed, footnotes 12 and 13 on page 49 are really illustrative of their thinking, because they're saying Trump has said that he can't be prosecuted because he wasn't impeached and convicted. But in this footnote, they say the history of the United States is replete with people who have been prosecuted pre-impeachment. Because remember, impeachment is not just a solution for former presidents. It applies to people like Article Three lifetime tenure judges. And they cite a number of examples here that there have been hundreds of officers in the United States who have been subject to criminal proceedings for offenses for which they could have been impeached but we're not. They also say, again, going back to the Senate debate in that second impeachment, 
that there were over 30 senators who made statements on the floor saying impeachment is not available for a former president. Our Constitution teaches that. And the right solution here where impeachment is not available is prosecution. And they have a note where they where they cite to the senators by name who made statements to that ding, effect ding, 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 ding. So this D.C. Circuit is literally taking names with respect to the evidence that they cite. It's not just a litany of case law, but real life examples of senators whose floor statements are contrary to the position that former President Trump and his lawyers took in this appeal, Anna. I'm going to bring in NBC's Garrett Haig, who, who covers the Trump campaign extensively. And Garrett, how much was Donald Trump and his team counting on this to help him with his legal troubles? Oh, come on. Well, and I don't think that Donald Trump or his legal team necessarily thought they'd get a favorable ruling from the appeals court here, but they're very much hoping to continue this fight really on two fronts. First, of course, on the legal front, as Lisa was just laying out, and as my colleague Laura Jarrett was reporting a few minutes ago, the idea here is that Donald Trump can continue to fight this either in the appeals court here in Washington or before the Supreme Court for weeks, potentially months, and continue to push back his trial date, whether he pushes it back through more of the primary process, because you have to the political calendar here on top of the legal to really see where this goes. If we can delay it further in the, in the primary process, that obviously helps him continue to amass delegates and put himself in a stronger position to become the party, need, party nominee. If he can push it past the uh, convention in, over this summer, if indeed he is the nominee, he puts himself in an even stronger political position to try to delay this trial. And then, of course, there's the imperative here of if he can push a trial or a conviction past the election, he could potentially make this go away for himself entirely. That's the legal front, and that's why continued delay here is almost as valuable as getting a decision that he would have liked. Obviously not entirely as valuable, but it certainly helps. On the political front, Donald Trump has really been focused on this case as, you know, by the January 6th case, the election interference case more broadly, as kind of the most political case against him. He's been railing against this case since its inception. He's complained about the timing of it, suggesting that this case should have been brought years ago because it, it you know, because it's being brought now. It essentially says it hurts him politically. Uh, and, and his base is bought into that, as we've seen in the early uh, presidential primary. Because now, his base picks their teeth with their toenail clippings. They're essentially lawfare. And he can continue to make that argument on the stump, and I suspect we'll hear it on Thursday when he returns to Nevada the next day to award delegates. I imagine we will hear from him um, in multiple social media posts here in the next 24 hours, which we'll, right. be, we'll all be watching because he really has seem to zero in on this immunity issue in much of his social media commentary lately. It was clearly on his mind. Um, Lisa, one of the things that we heard in those arguments the day that we took them here live was that if Donald Trump was not granted immunity here, every other president was at risk in the sense that any controversial act as president could then later be looked at in a, a criminal prosecutorial way. Uh, the judges address this on page 34. And it's interesting because they're saying this ruling actually protects the office of the presidency from abuse of power, writing, instead of inhibiting the president's lawful discretionary action, the prospect of federal criminal liability might serve as a structural benefit to deter possible abuses of power and criminal behavior. Quote, where an official could be expected to know that certain conduct would violate statutory or constitutional rights, he should be made to hesitate. 
and they say that was Harlow versus Fitzgerald. As the district court observed, every president will face difficult decisions. Whether to intentionally commit a federal crime should not be one of them. Those are some sharp words. Those are some sharp words. And I would agree that that fear has constrained presidents in years past, that it has been an assumption that presidents could be prosecuted after leaving office. If there was no assumption that a president could be prosecuted, why then did Gerald Ford feel it necessary to pardon Richard Nixon? Right? It has been a constraint on presidents. The only president it didn't constrain was Donald Trump. Now, when he tweets that without immunity, presidents from here on forward will be prosecuted, that's not so much a prediction about what will happen in the future as it is a threat about what he will do if returned to the office. So let's take him out of the equation. I agree with the judges here that this is a protection for any other law-abiding, law-fearing president. The problem is Donald Trump doesn't behave like other presidents. And again, time and again, he has shown us through his social media posts that his predictions or what he casts as predictions are not predictions at all. They are instead forecasting about what he would do if returned to the Oval Office. Catherine Christian is also joining us. Now, one other thing here, since they did mention Richard Milhouse Pinhead Nixon. Thank you, Harry Truman. Uh, by the way, they addressed... Uh, the, the court slapping down Harry Truman for uh, seizing, what was it, the rail industry in 1952? And said that that was an example of a president who had exceeded his discretionary authority. But in addressing the pardon of Richard Nixon... I guess you could say that this opinion, and if it is upheld by the Supreme Court, will also finally, after, dear God, 40-plus uh, years, nearly 50, finally put to rest the toxic assertion by that miserable old criminal Richard Nixon that if the president does it, it's not illegal. Because that thing has been lingering around the body politic for a while. And it's been a kind of theoretical... Oh, it was the steel industry. Thank you, Matt, in San Francisco. I was, I was guessing steel or rail, and I guessed wrong. But thank you. And so, you know, to a certain extent, uh, dead Nixon in hell and dead Kissinger fairly recently in hell. Well, they got repudiated. Oh, I know, Darlene, I'm just being mean. I'm being a bitch. It's not crap, shit emoji, oh, it's Cray with a long A, Poe, just like it wasn't Boner, but Bane with a long Aner. I know there's more to have fun with on that, uh, on that other side. Yes. As long as he continues to vote the way he does, he will be Mike Crapo. And, well, John Boner, I know. I was, I was actually in Germany uh, at the time, and the, 
the Boehner. I remember writing down B-O-E-H-N-E-R and asking my German hosts, it's a good German surname. How do you pronounce it? And they said, Boehner. I said, that ain't going to happen in the United States. We're not that nuanced. They said, but how is it pronounced in the United States? I said, you don't want to hear this. Boehner. And they all just they, they, they all just roared with laughter the same way they did when I told them that uh, told them about the St. Pauli girl poster, which of course is a beer out of Bremen, which is nowhere near southern Germany or Munich or Oktoberfest, but that their their logo is a dirndl clad German beauty holding a couple of steins of well bags. Bex, yes, Bex. I don't know. What did I, what did, I, did I say something else? But yeah, Bex, uh, which elicited indignant, uh, in, in, an indignant response of Bex is a pills. It is not a Southern German beer. It, it, it is not a Hefeweizen. It's not even a Keller beer. Don't get sideways of a German over German beer styles. I promise you don't want to go there. But all told, it was a terrible day for Nitwit Nero. And that makes me very happy. Because once again, you in, in this case, you had three members of the United States Circuit Court of Appeals for the District of Columbia Circuit stoking the stroke. And so I think for the first time in the 21st year of broadcasting on the horn, this being our second episode thereof, I will mention the trenchant words of our dear friend Todd. Y'all, he ain't going to make it. I just wonder what's going to happen when he doesn't. I mean, it's not like this is going to be a Dealey Plaza situation. He's going to be over humping the flag at a clavern rally or something, and he's going to do one pelvic thrust too many, and then it's, you know, again, he'll just turn into a living Monty Python animation, and <laughs> boom. And before the opinion was even out, I, I should I should note this, before the opinion even came out, uh, they were they were already having a rather great deal of fun on my. Uh, Filthy morning habit. He came within uh, Joe a hair's breadth of uh, some real broadcast zaniness. And all I could think this morning is, well, uh, Matt, I just want you to know, I've had word that the uh, design team in Palo Alto is almost done with the final workup for the um, the alpha version. We haven't even gotten to beta yet, but the alpha version of the Apple iSlice. Yes. Uh, I've been working behind the scenes, Matt, 
to uh, uh, get the folks there. We even brought uh, uh, Johnny Ives out of retirement to do the design. It's elegant. It's gorgeous. It's chrome. It's got dual mud flaps, the apple eye slice, and they're getting ready to send it off to the production facilities in uh, Guangdong Free Trade Province in China because I think we're going to have to provide you with your toaster uh, rather damned soon. And in point of fact, as Ralphs told me earlier today, Jehoshaphat got perilously close to saying the brown word on national TV. And in fact, Ralphs has put forward a $25 challenge for Joe Scarborough almost saying the brown word. It's the uh, $25 Joe Scarborough brown word challenge. $25, uh, anybody who kicks that in gets it doubled courtesy of Ralphs. And that gets us down to, uh, oh, okay, Cupertino, damn it. Okay, Brother Deacon Asa, apples and apples, apples and Cupertino. Honey, get your Silicon Valley geography straight. Oh, dear. And, but, okay, yeah, Cupertino. What's in Palo Alto? Oh, Stanford. That's the feeder school for Apple. I don't know. But, no, it, it, so the challenge is out there. I don't do Yeah, uh, There's a Katie Porter ad. Love you, Katie, but no freebies. You mentioned James Lankford, very conservative senator of Oklahoma, who's been running this bipartisan negotiation. He spent the day yesterday fighting against his own colleagues making the case for this bill. I would also remind folks during the Trump administration, we also had days of more than 4,000 people that were illegally crossing the border under the Trump administration in 2019, and they were struggling because there's gaps and loopholes in the law. So we actually have this bill came out uh, yesterday, Sunday. Uh, it, the first procedural vote is Wednesday, and that procedural vote is literally just open it up to be able to go through it and to be able to say, are we going to debate it this week? That's what Senator okay. Lee is actually talking about. It's interesting that he said he's already opposed to it. I have seen enough. This bill is even worse than we expected. It won't come close to any of the border catastrophe the president has created. As the lead Democrat negotiator proclaimed, under this legislation, the border never closes. If this bill reaches the House, it will be dead on arrival. Your thoughts? Yeah, un unfortunately, he would step out and be able to see that right away before, obviously, he had had a chance to be able to read it as well and to be able to go through it. The key aspect of this, again, is are we as Republicans going to have press conferences and complain the border's bad and then intentionally leave it open? So, Joe, Senator Langford calmly rebutting all the arguments that his own colleagues are making against this, in many cases misrepresenting the text of the bill to make an argument against it. Yeah. He's calmly correcting it. And I think he's been surprised, and we can talk to Jackie and others about this, about how his yeah. Republican colleagues who helped him get this together are now turning yeah. on him and going the other way in the service of Donald Trump. Well, and, and of course, you have the Speaker of the House who claims that the Bible guides him, claims that, that Jesus, I guess, must have told him, I don't know, I didn't read this part of the Sermon on the Mount, but to gain power by lying. To gain power by pushing the big lie. As Liz Cheney said, he was the chief proponent of the big lie. He didn't believe it, but said, I need to do this ghost to get close to Donald Trump. 
And so he's now going around lying on, I've seen enough. This bill is too liberal. Is that going to be I've his voice? I've seen enough. What is his voice? Okay. Uh, and so he's done that. And then Langford goes, well, gee, would have been nice if he actually read the bill. It's 370 pages. If he would have actually read like the bill before saying that. But again, I guess in his Bible, God, I've heard about the Jefferson Bible, mm. but the Johnson Bible, holy shnikes, mm. that must be some Bible that tells you to lie. To tells you to lie about elections, tells you to lie to get into power, tells you to lie and you admit that you're a liar, to get into power, to get close to Donald Trump, and now you're lying about a bill you haven't even read. Well, guess who has read the bill? Not that guy. Not that guy. Because Mar-a-Lago tells him to jump and he goes, ha-ha. <laughs> so that guy hasn't read the bill. The Wall Street Journal... Editorial page, as Willie said, they've read the bill, Mikey. They don't care if Mikey likes it or not. They've read the bill. And this is what they have to say, Gene Robinson. It's unbelievable. A border security bill worth passing. The Senate bill has reforms Trump never came close to getting. By any honest reckoning, this is the, says the Wall Street Journal editorial page, by any honest reckoning, but that's something Mike Johnson wouldn't know anything about. By any honest, honest is the word, Mikey. Look that up in your Bible that you've, you've made up. By any honest reckoning, this is the most restrictive migrant legislation in decades. Previous immigration talks have involved trading security measures for legalizing more immigration. There is little of that in this bill. This is almost entirely a border security bill, and its provisions include longtime GOP priorities that the party restrictionists could never have passed only a few months ago. Are you listening, Mikey? Just because Donald tells you to jump doesn't mean that you have to put America's security at risk. Because as the journal says, there are parts in this bill that, quote, party restrictionists could have never passed a few months ago. If Republicans reject this bill, the Wall Street Journal editorial page goes on to say, they will hand Democrats an argument that the GOP wants border chaos that they can exploit as a campaign issue. The chaos will continue for at least another year. The chaos will continue. Mike Johnson to America, go to hell. Mike Johnson to America, drop dead. Mike Johnson to Israel, drop dead. Mike Johnson to Ukraine, drop dead. Another year. Another year of fentanyl streaming across the border. Another year of illegal immigrants streaming across the border. All because Donald Trump told Mike Johnson, the same Donald Trump who said he wanted a depression, he wanted Americans' uh, retirements destroyed, he wanted their economy destroyed so he could get reelected. Donald Trump is now telling Mike Johnson, I want the border open for another year. What does that mean? This is not MSNBC primetime.
This is not the New York Times editorial page. This is the voice of the conservative movement. And I have to add that in the video of it, Mika was just beaming at Joe, just smiling at him, like, I don't know, like Annie Sullivan when Helen finally says water. He's finally getting it. Because remember, when they first met and she introduced Joe to her daddy, Zbigniew Brzezinski, National Security Advisor to Jimmy Carter, he, uh, he he looked Joe Scarborough right in the eye and said, well, you're an absolute idiot, aren't you? And that was back when Joe was a rock-ribbed conservative Republican. But there's a little freedom that attaches with not having to toe the conservative party line. And she was. She was beam. Matt, did you see it this morning? She was beaming at him. She was so proud of him for using his big primate brain. It was sweet. And this is what the Wall Street Journal editorial page is saying. The chaos will continue for at least another year. Because of you, Mike Johnson, because of you, Donald Trump, the fentanyl will flood across the border for another year because of you. Because James Langford has put together the most restrictive border security bill ever. Ever. The chaos will continue for at least another year. Republicans may think they can write a better law if Mr. Trump wins in November, but don't count on it. And Gene Robinson, as the Wall Street Journal editorial page says, the bastion of conservatism, as it says in its subhead, the Senate bill has reforms Trump never came close to passing. Mr. Build That Wall. Mr. Put children in cages. Oh, she is. She's beaming. And Matt in San Francisco just said she looked at him like Pence looked at Trump. I know. Find some, yeah, find somebody that'll look at you like Mike Pence looked at Donald Trump. It was just. It was just a proud moment for her. And by the way. he had to he had to call Mike Johnson Mikey because well Moses is already taken and then he'd have to try to do Yule Brenner and that wouldn't work out I kid I kid Mister I'm the toughest president ever on illegal immigration never ever did Donald Trump come close to getting legislation this restrictive and and so restrictive that border security agents are begging Republicans, please pass this. Make our lives better. Make our lives safer. Make our jobs safer. Please pass this. And Gene, Mm -hmm. 
They just won't. And guess what? Yeah. What a shock. Mike Johnson, the, 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 the biggest promoter, the big lie in the house, Mike Johnson lying through his teeth about a bill he never even read. Ouch. But it's all true. It's all true. And the motherfucker countdown is truly on. And and you know you know what, Matt? I, I want to. Uh, we've had a ruling from the committee on this. You still get the toaster, even if it's Joe that says motherfucker. Uh, Darlene in Connecticut asking, uh, "Wonder if you've heard from Tracy and if she and Jan are okay? Flooding's pretty bad out there." And P.S. Per Axios, you share your filthy morning habit with none other than our one true president, Joseph Robinette Biden. Doesn't surprise me in the least. And Darlene added, and Jehoshaphat apparently has Joe's ear as an informal advisor sort of way. Perish the thought. And here, here's the funny thing. Nitwit Nero has never struggled to tra- take credit nor have the Republicans in the House or Senate witnessed the way that they run around places like Alabama uh, talking about uh, the money that I brought to the great state of Alabama, Yellowhammer State. We dealt to friend all rights uh, for all this here brand new Internet infrastructure under under the Inflation Reduction Act. And then, you know, Joe, Joe Biden stands up and goes, yeah, I remember when you voted against that, motherfucker. Uh, because, again, Joe, and, and, and I like him better for this, is a prolific cusser. Referring to Donald Trump as a sick fuck. And I have no doubt that he, he, he puts, that kind of, puts that kind of emphasis on, oh, he's a sick fuck. So, you know, maybe 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 talking to maybe to talking to President Biden he refers to him as Moses Johnson or Mullah Mikey. Let's get Mikey. He won't read it. He doesn't read anything, including his own Bible. Um, restrictive border bill Lee in New York says the new border bill is so restrictive how restrictive is it it's so restrictive melanoma couldn't have gotten through ah well played well played Lee and yes, the chaos will continue until morale improves. Mike Johnson, exactly, Ralphs. Uh, was that? I'm not sure. Uh, Kevin asking. Uh, was that Brian Kilmeade I heard asking the senator a question from his usual edge of the fox couch on Fox and Fiends? That voice of his of his pierces my skin, sitting all 
tough guy like guarding the fox and fiend's couch like Junior probably guarded his half barrel of bush light at a keg party. He's the guy who said you didn't pay yet yet at the kegger when you already did. Grifters, grifters, one and all. Like I said, busy, busy day. Uh, in fact, busy, busy, busy is one of those little mantras of uh, Baconanism from Kurt Vonnegut's Cat's Cradle, along with nice, nice, very nice. So many different creatures, all in the same device. And this is, of course, Titanic Tuesday when we take note of titanic manifestations of right-wing intellect certainly covers the brief filed by nitwit Nero's petty foggers in the immunity case but on Thursday it's going to get real interesting again when the Supreme Court takes its first run at another case of first impression, namely Section 3 of the 14th Amendment and the Insurrection Clause. And whether or not Nitwit Nero should be allowed on the ballot. Now, this one has a lot more off-ramps on it. than does the immunity argument. Will they take it? Will they say that it's not ripe for decision until he is the nominee? Was that what the uh, what the GQP was up to when they? Uh, tried and then ultimately scrapped the notion of calling him the presumptive nominee because he hadn't won enough delegates yet? Oh no. But they're making another argument that isn't in the statute or in the, the amendment, namely that Congress has to act in order for something like that to happen when, just as is the case with the impeachment clause, there there's no there there. If P, then Q does not equal, if not P, then not Q. The only congressional action contained in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment is that if an individual suffers the the disability of being uh, ineligible to hold office, then Congress may then act with a two-thirds majority vote in both houses to lift the disability. They're trying to make up constitutional principles that aren't there. And one of the biggest, you know, prior, this is after uh, the Dred Scott decision,
but before Plessy versus Ferguson, one of the, in the slaughterhouse cases, et cetera, um, one of the biggest assholes on the, on, the, on the Supreme Court was Salmon P. Chase. During Abraham Lincoln's term in office, he had made Salmon P. Chase, who was from southern Ohio and an abolitionist, He had made Salmon P. Chase, oh, what, treasurer of the United States? And then Salmon P. Chase, during the course of the prosecution of the Civil War, decided he would be better at civil warring than Abraham Lincoln would be and began making rumbly, grumbly noises about wanting to be president. And then uh, one of the uh, Supreme Court justices kicked the bucket creating an opening on the court. And uh, Lincoln, uh, being uh, politically savvy, it was October 12, 1864, when Roger B. Taney keeled over, having more or less thrust the United States into civil war with the Dred Scott decision, creating an opening on the Supreme Court, which Abraham Lincoln then promptly filled with Salmon P. Chase. Taney probably ruled the way he did because he came from a filthy rich family in Calvert County, Maryland, whose wealth was largely in enslaved human beings. Well, he put Salmon Chase on the court, but back then, Supreme Court justices, this was before the actual creation of the United States Circuit Court of Appeals, and individual Supreme Court justices would ride circuit. In 1869, Salmon P. Chase was the Chief Justice of the United States Supreme Court. And in 1869, in a case involving Jefferson Davis, Salmon P. Chase said that you could could deprive someone of the ability to hold office without court proceedings. But then a few months later, he said there has to be congressional legislation creating a process to find somebody covered by Section 3. So he created a split in the circuits all by himself because Salmon P. Chase was, well, not to put too fine a point on it, but I think we have a, we have a term for it. Yes. You dick! And... Uh, he created a mess. And so I think probably, well, damn it, no, I won't. Um, Program note. I just received word that there's going to be a public hearing in Charleston at the Capitol at, oh my Jesus, 8.30... Thursday morning, 
on the uh, <clears throat> Women's Bill of Rights, which is really just a potty bill. And I'm already working on my remarks. And I plan to be there. Once again, I hope I get home in time. But anything can happen trying to get from Charleston back up the mountain here. So we'll see. I'm pretty sure I'll be freaking exhausted uh, coming through the door. But I will try to get through the door and be on air. Because we'll need to talk about the hearing on Thursday. So, you know, just make a note of it. Well, let's see. We are at the halfway point of the program. Sorry, I'm trying to sort something out. Um, anyway, onward, because uh, the D.C. Circuit was not the only circuit court busy today. The third United States Circuit Court of Appeals was busy today, too, and they got it right. A panel of the third U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals heard a case brought by some COVIDiots going back to the pandemic. There were two cases, actually. Lawsuits had been filed against um, county officials and state officials in both Freehold and Cranford, New Jersey. I'm sure they're lovely places. And uh, it was uh, a pair of individuals who say that they were retaliated against by school boards because they went barking and grunting to a school board meeting, complaining about, oh, I don't know, the usual complaints. Uh, if I wear a mask, Jesus can't see my face and bless me with his goodness and salvation. I don't know. Uh, yeah, But anyway, these, these maggot COVIDiots showed up, refused to wear a mask during a public meeting, wanted to spread disease. And they, uh, these maggot plaintiffs that said, our First Amendment rights is being violated. I know, wrong accent for New Jersey, right? But the Third United States Circuit Court of Appeals took that claim, uh, rolled it up into a, uh, a tube form and shoved it sideways up the asses of the, ma- of the maggot COVIDiot plaintiffs, writing 
uh, in the opinion, the court said, a question shadowing suits such as these is whether there is a First Amendment right to refuse to wear a protective mask as required by valid health and safety orders put in place during a recognized public health emergency. Like all courts to address this issue, we conclude there is not. And then they gave the, gave, gave the knife a twist and said, skeptics are free to, and did, voice their opposition through multiple means, but disobeying a masking requirement is not one of them. And then, just to make sure that the maggots understood, one could not, for example, refuse to pay taxes to express the belief that taxes are theft. Nor could one refuse to wear a motorcycle helmet as a symbolic protest against the straight law, state law requiring them, the symbolism being most uh, made most obvious, I'm adding editorially, when the said protesters' brains are splattered all over the pavement. The plaintiffs were George Falcone and Gwyneth Murray Nolan, when I first saw the name Gwyneth, I was like, please be Paltrow. Paltrow, please. I mean, when you consider the jade egg and the hoo-hoo candle, yeah, nothing. Uh, nothing, is, nothing is beyond the pale. So uh, uh, George Falcone went to a school board meeting in early 2022 in Freehold Township. Masks were still necessary for those meetings. And he caught a trespassing charge and a summons when he refused to put on the mask. And then when he was going to another meeting, the meeting got canceled. He said it was because the school board was mad at him for not wearing a mask. In the lower court, when he sued, they said, get the, get the fuck out of here. And that he lacked standing and he appealed. Then there was uh, Gwyneth Murray Nolan. She went to an early 2022 school board meeting in Cranford. You'll recall that these things were organized. They, I mean, to the extent that maggots can do any organized things, but they, they were, they were, they were organized. And so there were people descending on school boards. And uh, Gwyneth Murray Nolan had made a point of telling anybody who would listen that masking doesn't work. Might as well be breathing through your underwear. Remember that? She got popped for defiant trespass at the school board meeting when she showed up without a mask. The lower court said, yeah, the cops had probable cause to arrest her because she was violating the masking law, and she appealed. And today, both of them got their maggot asses handed to them. Uh, an attorney for the officials in the suit, one Eric Harrison, said today that uh, Refusing to wear a mask in violation of a public health mandate is not the sort of civil disobedience that the drafters of the First Amendment had in mind as protected speech. No, it isn't. And uh, uh, counsel for the two COVIDiots, uh, one R Ronald Baruti, I'm surprised it's not Alina Havana 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 Havana, counsel for the parking garage, Uh, said, 
we're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court. Nah, wrong accent. We're going to take this all the way to the Supreme Court because it ain't in the Constitution. The First Amendment is in the Constitution, and my clients had their rights violated. Sure, Ronald. You bet. Okay, Brother Deacon. Uh, what's that? Anti-maskers and anti-vaxxers in Joe Rogaine's New Jersey? Say it ain't so. Oh, it's so. It's so. Uh, Lee in New York pointing out, Salmon P. Chase. Well, Lincoln's on the $5 bill. Chase is on the $10,000 bill. At least we've seen bills with Lincoln. <laughs> True. I don't think there are any $10,000 Salmon P. Chase bills in circulation anymore. The reason he was on that, though, was because he was instrumental in introducing the Young Republic, at that point in time, not even 100 years old, to the concept of government run on debt. You've heard of Chase Bank, Chase Manhattan, whatever. Well, it was named after him. He didn't come from a wealthy family. But he did so much to improve and enrich the banking industry that uh, the, the, the founders of that bank or the, the board of directors of that bank added his name to the business. I think what would become Chase was actually originally founded by some uh, wealthy New Yorkers, among whom was, if I recall correctly, one Aaron Burr. How about that? And there were some citations today in the uh, immunity case to a Burr case. Because as president of the Senate, Vice President Aaron Burr in the Jefferson administration had actually presided over the impeachment of a Supreme Court justice who I think was also named Chase. And... Uh, Without fail, senators on both sides, the Republican and the Federalist, said he administered that case with genius, fairness, and aplomb, which probably annoyed the living shit out of Thomas Jefferson. Uh, let's run over to the stress line. Uh, i got Tracy there. What's up, Tracy? Tracy. Oh, we're not, okay. Maybe Tracy wasn't there after all. Okay, let's go over to the stress line and see who we got there. Hey, welcome to the program. 
Uh, it's uh, it's me, Robin. Hey, Dave. How are you? I have. I I'm doing well, and the uh, the uh, <clears throat> checks mix. Uh, oh, we're all, yes, we are all me, we are all dying to know. Uh, well, it's exposed me to a new addiction. Oh no, Robin. Uh, oh yes, I'm going to have to find a uh, a twelve step program for bagel chips. I, I, I am powerless against them. I bought two bags for the Chex Mix, and well, it didn't make it into the mix. Oh dear! But I I had to bougie it up a little bit, and I used uh, the Kroger Deluxe mixed nut blend in it, and uh, pretzels and, and and whatnot, along with the three checks. Uh, mixed it all up in a pan. With the with the usual garlic, onion powder, and uh, seasoned salt, mixed all that together, and decided that no, there wasn't enough butter in there to to bake it off. In other words, everything had absorbed the way it should have, and. Um, I added some French hot sauce to the mix. Always a good call. I like that. And I just, I just finished it up. Girl, I'm telling you, I'm going to gain 30 pounds this month, I swear. But I, 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 had, to, I had to use the deluxe mix nuts to bougie it up just a little. Oh, and that, would, that would have. You know, most people go for the cashews in that. You know what I always went for? The pecans. The Brazil nuts? No, the pecans. Those salted and roasted pecans yeah, were just Yeah, I like the walnuts. Wait, there's, wal- it, there's, walnut, uh, there's walnuts in them? Yes, yes, ma'am. Son of a gun, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't remember that. I, I, I think I'll, I'll look at the, uh, at the label again, but I think, yeah, there are some pecan pieces in there. But there, it looks like there's uh, whole pieces of uh, walnut. Uh, and it, it's just damn good. Uh, there's enough salt there to drive my blood pressure up to catastrophic levels, but who the hell cares? Also, yesterday was a bad day. Not because Sunday was Christine's 65th birthday. And by the way, she wanted me to thank everybody for all their good wishes. Um, and uh, she, she had a nice, quiet birthday at home. And her sisters thought her birthday was on the 5th. Well, yesterday, which was the 5th, was the anniversary of my suicide attempt 12 oh. years ago. Oh, day. And so I was having a bad day anyway because my mind went back to that time. And uh, fortunately, I had a 
appointment with my therapist this morning by phone. So we talked about that. And Christine made sure yesterday that she knew that she loved me and that if I needed to talk, to call her. I was to call her before I did anything. And I promised her. And I'm, I'm saying all of this so that if people know somebody who they think might be having a problem, they can reach out to them. Uh, don't be afraid to. Hi. Oh, they might get pissed. Well, fine, they get pissed. Um, I survived. Better my p- nephew. Better, better pissed off and alive than. Well, the right, other thing. and and my my nephew had his own demons. And he ended up shooting himself in front of his girlfriend. And uh, he died. So I, I say this as a survivor of an attempt. If you have any idea that there may be a problem, get help, even if you got to call the cops in. Uh, because you might be saving a life. That doesn't mean that the person won't still have problems, but it's better than ignoring it. And absolutely, if we would, if we would stop stigmatizing mental health in this country, Because we live in a demon-filled world where the devil is is in charge of everything bad. Well, Robin, I think it's about time the Republicans stop blaming Hillary Rodham Clinton. You know that? Yeah, any any day now, any day. Um, As a matter of fact, I've been recasting. Uh, Donald Trump Superstar, which is the exact same play as Jesus Christ Superstar, with the same characters except Donald Trump is Jesus. Right. So, is there a song in okay. Donald Trump Superstar? Uh, I, I don't know how to grab him. No, no. But Mary Magdalene is is brilliantly played by uh, Melanoma. No, George, uh, you know, um, hell, the, the dumbass that got thrown out. George, oh, you mean George, you, George Anthony DeVolder, Mary Magdalene Santos? Yes, ma'am, that's the one. The yes, one who described himself as the Mary Magdalene of the Congress. So he had, the, he had that job. Uh, no, the, the song is... Uh, oh, so it's I Don't Know How to Blow uh, Him. Right, exactly. Which, you know, would I think might cause some marital issues with his husband. Uh, but I, I if, don't know. If said um, husband actually exists... That's true. I mean, it may be the whole... That's uh, true. Uh, it, it may be the whole. It may be another one, another entire Mother Bates kind of thing. Or it could. It, it, it could be one of those uh, 
Lady Chi's NBA uh, uh, situation. You know, now if you're going on this trip to Vegas, you got to sign this document. <laughs> you know, I, I can see that. <laughs> but uh, hey, Marina, you want to go to the MMAs with me? Sign well, here. See, the, 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 the beautiful thing is, Caiaphas is played by Kim Jong-un. Nobody understands Caiaphas anyway, so Mr. Kim's performance should not be affected. Of course, Satan is played by Hillary Rodham Clinton. Naturally. Because why not? Well, um, wait, 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 wait. Uh, is, well, then tell me, at least tell me that the understudy is Liz Cheney. Well, I mean, you, that's a possibility. Where, you know, I mean, where, where Satan is concerned, where Satan is concerned, she is a nepo baby. Solid. Well, that's true. That's true. And we're thinking, you know, Herod might be. Oh, oh I'm thinking Eric the Dumber as Herod. Oh, I kind of. Well, wait, no, I, I thought I, I thought that would have been Stephen Miller. He, you know, he 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 at least fits the uh, casting requirements. Well, that's true, and he is a lick spittle. So yeah, I I could see that. Um, Pontius Pilate would be racist Bannon. Yes. Oh, abs. Oh, yes. Perfect casting. But I don't know if he's willing to shave his head, which well, you know, you know being, country, a, be, 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 being a Roman governor, it's not so much whether he'd shave his head; it's whether he'd shave his beard, or in his case, his stubble. Well, that's true. And does he wear three toes on stage? Yes, yes, with 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 pop, just, three. Just ask them. Yes, and I'll just answer. Yes, three togas with popped sinuses. Don't see that. Well, I was I was proud of that. That that works. Uh, but I think the most brilliant portion of. Uh, of the casting thus far is Mary Magdalene role. Oh, yeah, we yes, know how, yes. how much how much George loves his daddy, and, and 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 we should not make fun of him much. Well, but again, so uh, it, all right, all right. But I mean, anytime you're going to tour with a show. You know, people come down with laryngitis, especially when it's musical. Some days you're just too hungover for the Sunday matinee. And or it so, could be like in, in the case when you did the Lion in Winter, COVID. You know. Yeah, right. But, so, so you know, you're going to need a, right. you're, you're going to need an understudy for Mary Magdalene, and I'm thinking Mike Pence. Or, or wait, Lady or G. Lindsey Graham. Lady, Lindsay, yes, yes, Lady L- G. Lady absolutely. G. Lady G is definitely the one. Because let's face it, when Lady G, when Lady G dresses, it's off to the drag race. You know, so good for her. But yeah, I think Lady G is definitely the one there. 
Mike, little Mikey, let's see. Oh, oh we got to put him in as Judas. That, that's the tip of the hat to the Mager bunch. They'll be like, yeah, yeah, you Judas. And see, see where, I'm, where I'm going with this? Oh, I do. I do. Understudied by Kevin McCarthy. Well, they're both spineless wonders. You gotta ha- so, you, yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, come on, Dave. This is a this is a major this is a major national touring company. We gotta have we got to have understudies. That that's true, and yes, it's a little bit of an expense, but you don't want to come up short in the middle of Albuquerque, you know. Now, God forbid, God forbid you take that left time. Right, left uh, when I. When I, in, in all seriousness, when I was a kid, there was an outfit called a chain of of musical theaters called Starlight Theaters. They had them in Houston, they had them in Indianapolis and other cities, and they would have they would bring in Broadway plays. And the first one I ever saw was Oliver. In, in Houston when I was nine years old. But I also, when I was about 11 or 12, saw Hello, Dolly in Indianapolis. With Carol Channing? With Carol Channing. Get out. With Carol Channing. And it was the closing night, and she was the most gracious person. At the curtain call, she addressed the audience and thanked us for making her uh, stay in Indianapolis so enjoyable. And basically she went the old school Broadway star. You know, there was always that you got to be gracious on closing night. You, you, you thank the audience and you let, you let them go home happy. And she did. I also saw in, in the Sound of Music uh, playing Maria, and this is unusual, but it was Shirley Jones. And wow, Mrs. Yes, Partridge. The, the, the woman can sing. Oh, yes. You know, she could sing. I, and I always wondered if it was dubbed in. Well, wait, 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 wait. Wasn't, really wasn't, wasn't she the female lead in Oklahoma? I think originally, yeah. I think originally, yeah. But that that's what inspired me to do Donnie Trump Superstar. And, and uh, I, I, I am waiting for, you know, Various songs to come up, like Herod's song and things like that. Uh, I, I think the the maggot crowds will be protesting, which only means ticket sales will go through the roof. And, and you know, I think if if my little crucifixion company can 
bankroll this operation, we might have a nice little side gig. And and you know what? Uh, if it's if it's the rousing success I expect it to be, you might be able to uh, you might be able to franchise out Crazy Dave's Crucifixion Emporium. Well, see, and but here's the thing, Robin. You know that 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 prop and scenery is a big expense. Well, you know, we get a couple, we we get a few number sevens with a few backups, uh, and we, you know, maybe we can get Eric to Eric to to hold those on stage for us. I mean, the poor boy does need a job. I mean, that's true. And, I mean, it's pretty soon he's not pretty soon he's not going to be able to do any business whatsoever in New York. And well, see, and he's got a family. And I don't want to see him going hungry. Not that Gladys would ever let him go hungry. Good Lord, that woman. There are more rum raisin oatmeal cookies around the office now, Robin. Well, I was, was going to bet, cookies. you know, Gladys, Gladys being Gladys, there's probably, she probably brings some sort of delightful Midwestern casserole every day of the week, doesn't she? Well, yeah, but there's only so, even in Indiana, who has an official state casserole, which is the green bean casserole. Naturally. Okay. We'll, 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 you know, people will make fun of it, but that is a Midwestern tradition that goes as far back as I can remember. I won't make fun of it. I love it. it. No, no, I mean, that'd be like, uh, me going, uh, now we're no longer serving cornbread with beans, ham and beans, you know. No, see, that would not happen. There would be protests in the streets. See, I'm, I've been thinking lately, oh. Dave, about that, uh, and it was Steve in New York who brought it up, that sort of Amish version of lasagna from there in the Buckeye State. I really want to make that soon. Well, I haven't heard of that, but... Oh. You know, there's a. I think there's sour cream. There there's sour cream and noodles. There, there, and, there are fairly large communities of Amish here in Indiana, uh, mostly up in the north central part of the state. But yeah, oh yeah, there, there's a, a small community outside of Muncie, my hometown, a place called Burn, Indiana. <laughs> and it has a famous Amish popcorn festival. And it gets secret service protection every year. Homeland, Homeland Security considers it a target for terrorists. What? Over the years, the most. What? Yes. Yes, ma'am. Who wants to blow up an Amish popcorn festival? Right. The most explosive thing at the festival is the popcorn. It's even more explosive than the the south end of a uh, northbound buggy. I mean... I mean, who's who's the threat? The Orville Redenbacher Black Brigade? <laughs> now, 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 wait a minute. I know somebody that grew up on a farm right next to Orville Place when he was a kid, and 
she went to school with him. She said he was kind of a a nerd, you know. But, well, I, uh, I remember I remember when Letterman, another famous Indiana, another famous Hoosier, would say, "That's not Orville Redenbacher's nephew. That's his longtime companion." <laughs> well, you know, D- Dave. Dave escaped Muncie, Indiana after going to Ball State, so I can't blame him. But I find it rather ironic that the minute he retires, a Indy car that he backed won the 500 that year. So um, it's in it's in the Speedway Museum now. And the car is. And, uh, you know, people think, oh, Indiana, there's no sense of humor. I think I've disabused the Horn Family Community Congregation of that over the years. Uh, Yes, in fact, we do know how to tell jokes in this state. I mean, Red Skeleton... We're going back a few years, but yeah, Red was from Indiana, so you know you can have your cat skills comics. Fine, I got no problem with that. Give me a couple of Hoosier boys on stage, and we'll get you laughing in the aisles. But Robin. They've been they've been talking about all this stuff about Trump's court dates and I was explaining to Christine earlier this evening about just what kind of trouble Donnie is in. And the one thing that screws with him the most is not the criminal prosecutions. I mean, Judge Gwan hasn't come down with his decision because of the perjury. Right, and it's about to In get... It, it, it got a little more scary today. I don't know if you saw this. But an email from Judge Goron kind of hints that there's a really big number coming. Uh, he... Uh, dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So... Uh, I hope he smacks him hard. Well, in because uh, Christine, in an email yesterday, Judge and Goron said, "As the presiding magistrate, the trier of fact, and the judge of credibility, I of course want to know whether Mr. Weisselberg is now changing his tune and whether he's admitting he lied under oath in my courtroom at this trial. I do not want to ignore anything in a case of this magnitude." Well, and the other thing that I'm sure Judge and Goron. Uh, once done is to make sure that Weisselberg wasn't encouraged to uh, perjure himself. I mean, after all, Alan ain't a spring chicken. No, but the real risk here is there is a legal doctrine called falsus in uno, falsus in omnibus. Basically, it means false in one thing, false in all things. In other words, if you lied about yeah. one thing, you probably lied about everything. 
Yeah, I've heard that in jury instructions before. And if he and if he and if, and judge, if, if he invokes that, oh my! Everything he testified <laughs> about in the disgorgement trial might be deemed untruthful, and it might run the number even higher. Uh, yeah, okay, are we are we going to set a pool up here, Robin? How high is high? Are we talking? Oh, half a billion plus? I could see that number getting that high if there's perjury involved. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, pretty it, you, you take a half a billion dollars to the Attorney General of New York, and you take a, a tenth of a billion dollars and, uh, and, and, and for E. Jean Carroll... And pretty soon, and let's not and pretty soon, you and the possibility of some civil asset forfeiture in Georgia, and as uh, as as Miss as Miss Jane Hathaway once noted, pretty soon you're talking about some walking around money. What? And the other thing is that um, Gladys has been asking me to keep Eric on because she's worried about the boy. And he's not a bad kid, you know. Once he's away from his daddy, he, you know, he he sweeps up the shop pretty good. So yes, yeah. and, and good janitorial help is hard to find. So I don't mind paying him real fake money to clean real fake floors, and and, and if he's willing to put in the work, why then he can pay real fake taxes um, and become a productive member of society. I know productive member of society in a Trump, that doesn't happen all the way back in Germany. But, you know, the, the, the Make America Germany Again movement also known as the conservative bowel movement, is uh, is having its issues. And Christine, the, the reason we got to talking about Donnie is Christine has a maggot for a health care assistant, and Christine confronted it. She, she so you're okay, Christine said, told her, so you're okay with uh, him taking away a woman's right uh, and, and uh, so and and passing laws so that your uh, your boyfriend or husband has the say over over you at all times and. And the woman said, no. <laughs> Christine's like, yeah, well, if you vote for Donnie, that's exactly the kind of thing you're voting for. And I mean, pretty much. You know. So, uh, and I got a phone call from a, uh, a survey outfit asking about local taxes. And it was one of these, and I'm sure it was a right-wing 
douchebag operation because of the way the questions were phrased. But I told them I was a 58-year-old white liberal Democrat. And they still kept me on the phone. So I answered all their questions, and then I told the lady, take me off of your list so that when they go to sell that information, uh, my name doesn't get included. Hopefully, yes. Not that they pay attention to that, but if you're a reputable survey company, which I doubt, like Walker Research or one of those outfits, they do take that stuff seriously. So, but we've covered everything. We've covered food porn, Broadway, suicide prevention, and Donnie's legal woes. And and the fact that, well, Eric Trump doesn't have to worry about a job if things go really, really bad for him in court in the next few months. He'll at least be able to put food on the table. So, I, I don't feel too bad about that. Well, you're 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 you're, you're, you're a good Christian man, Dave. Uh, no, I'm not. We're, stop no, calling the fuck me I'm that, not. Robin. <laughs> Robin, you're just trying to piss me off. That's that's what it is. I know that was some dirty pool, wasn't it? That was, oh, girl, that was not good. Not good getting misidentified as a Christian. Good God, just because I'm in Taliban, Indiana. Do you have any idea how much fun I'm going to, not fun, but uh, what I'm going to do on Thursday when I get to talk uh, talk potty bill with those bastards? Oh, yeah, I'm going to Charleston. You tell, girl. Oh, I don't, I don't want to telegraph anything, but oh, it's going to be fun. You're in, and you're running for office again. Yes. Got to figure out a way to so, scrounge up some money and buy it, some signs. Well, um, let let us know when your campaign has a. Uh, I'm working on it, and uh, I will, and uh, it's exciting. Might be able it's to just, buy you two or three signs. It's just uh, really kind of weird. Um, well, not weird, but it, it's difficult doing it all by myself. The, paper, yeah. the paperwork alone is harrowing. I wonder how large a, a group of people you would have to have to to run an effective campaign. Well, I, I mean, need you know I need people got, I need people putting you know signs in yards mean more than signs on the roadside. Um, right, and and you got to have somebody that can keep track of campaign money going in and out. 
Um, Don't have a treasure, and then you got to, and, and you know, it'd be great to be able to buy some media. Yeah. You know, buy some ads on Facebook, buy some ads on, I don't know, Reddit, whatever. I don't even, know. It, even, well, not a penny, not a penny will be spent on, uh, uh, not a penny will be given to Leon Scum, that's for sure. Well, now, uh, Leon, I don't know why he just doesn't change his, change his name to Lex Luthor. You know, he should just go ahead and do it. And then when DC Comics sues him for it. Oh, is that DC? Fuck you. Is Superman DC? Yeah, Superman. Okay, okay. Yeah, because... Lex yeah. Luthor Superman's villain. Yeah. Yeah. You know... I used to hang out at a comic book shop. Because God that. knows if it, God knows if it was Marvel, they'd have them. They'd have the mouse on their ass. Well, DC has a, a group of comics. One is called "Death: The High Cost of Living." And it's a story about a young death who appears to be a young golf chick, you know. And this is part of a group of comics that they've got, um, some of which they've done audible books on. And it all gets... uh, it all gets uh, mixed into uh, the same universe. The uh, the old uh, series Lucifer on Fox. Oh yeah, that comes from DC Comics, and it comes from the same universe. And in some of the uh, films. Lucifer is portrayed as a woman, but you still have Mazakin and the other characters. And uh, I think I, I think that show was well done. And I had a friend of my I, mine who is a Jehovah's Witness who took offense because he thought. That it was, you know, that it was encouraging heresy, sacrilege. Yeah, and I said, no, not really. Uh, In the DC universe, they portray Lucifer as God's wayward kid who. You know, in the book, in the, well, well, in the in the in the book of Job, he's portrayed as God's lunch buddy. Yeah, and and see, and and the other thing, that that whole thing of, well, yeah, uh, a lot of people are are, are um, 
conflating uh, John Milton's little diatribes with, you know, uh, stories from the Bible or stories from the Apocrypha. And what they don't realize is there were a slew of they, they've identified something like 400 ancient books that various followers of Judaism and Christian, early Christianity read widely. And, and how they influenced, uh, what people see as the Bible and I, I love when English-speaking Protestants start getting all over me. The King James Version is the only version. And I'm like, well, uh, when was that published? The 1600s? And by then, uh, Christianity had been a going concern for over 1,400 years. Thereabouts, 1300. You know, know, um, where it became a major issue. Speaking of which, which, you'll get a a kick out of this. Uh, Over in Rome, uh, I remember remember when I was... Are we going to Frank's place? uh, Pardon? Are we stopping by Frank's place? Uh, Sure. Uh, No, actually, not Frank's. No, over in over in Rome, I, I remember uh, being on a wander. We had some free time and you know, young, and uh, the person I was traveling with, we decided to just go walk about in Roma, and found ourselves up on the at the top of the Capitoline Hill at the Capitoline Museum, and out in the courtyard thereof, they had the great big giant head of a statue of Constantine, and his foot was also there, and a finger or two. From a from a, a humongous like 13 meter high statue, at one point in time, the those pieces were preserved because they thought it was a piece of a statue of Jesus. Um, well, now the Roman government, because it's the because the Italian government is the Italian government's being run by a fascist, and they all, always get all worked up about antiquity. That's that's how the forum got uh, excavated, was by Mussolini, wanting to return to the greatness and of the then, empire. And, and that's how the Colosseum got preserved, too. Exactly. And so um, they, have re, they have rebuilt, not using marble, of course, but they have, they have re, they've done a reconstruction of that giant statue, that colossal statue of Constantine, Seated. Please tell me they did not. They did not use the actual pieces no. from the original. No, 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 no. Statue. Oh, thank okay. you. Uh, but he's holding a. I, he's, he's got a. He's got a. He's got a scepter in his right hand, and the orb, the globe, in the other. As ah, pretty cool, it, it it really is. I wanted to mention another thing though before we go, uh, because you were talking about your friend the Jehovah's Witness. Uh, out in Arizona, Stan, a couple of ma- uh, good, God-fearing, upstanding, Bible-believing, Christ-centered, evangelical, fundamentalist, homosexual, Christian Republicans 
have introduced a bill because they are completely oblivious to the idea of the First Amendment protecting anything but Christianity. They've introduced a bill to ban any satanic church displays, Church of Satan, uh, on any public property. What do you want oh, to bet? I can see that. What do you, what do you want to, and, and, and you yeah, know, meanwhile, yeah. the, meanwhile, the ACLU is sitting there going, oh, please pass this. Please, 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 please pass this. Oh, yeah. Because we're going to get yeah, big time uh, attorney's uh, fees yeah. off of this. We love the slam dunks. Yeah. The, 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 minute, the minute that passes the legislature, the moment they try to enforce that, because as you know, Robin, just having the law on the books isn't enough. They've got to actually try and enforce it. And that's when the conflict uh, and, and And see, the, the, the one thing where the ACLU is thinking, oh, damn it, is that Arizona Stan actually has a Democratic governor who will probably veto it, so they'll have to override the veto. Which but they'll, do, but they'll do it for Jeebus. But they'll do it for Jeebus. Well, you know, I listen to the God Pod, which is a comedy podcast where God and Jesus talk about stuff that's happening here on Earth. That usually around the United States. Well, I this might shock you, Robin, but uh you know how the joke has been going around for a few centuries about Jesus and his old buddies out in the middle of nowhere on fishing trips and stuff like that? Well, it's finally happened. Jesus is now out of the closet. Really? Yes, ma'am. Are they non-binary uh, now? He, well... Let's just say Jesus is a very accepting individual, and uh, you know uh, God having an issue. Well, they're waiting for you to come back. He goes, "I've been back several times, and they haven't paid any attention." You know, stuff like that. So I can see that. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think uh, they they've. Uh, They've uh, interviewed a local comedian who uh, went to a maggot display of the Confederate battle flag and the the the, the do, do not tread on me piss colored snake flag and all all this and they've got all these uh, flagpoles along the road on the east side of Indianapolis. But the one I want them to do the jokes in front of are, is the guy who's got the snake flag and the, and the Confederate battle flag and the Hagenkreutz flying in, at his house. Oh, yes. Gee, I wonder, I, I wonder what kind of Nazi he is. There's more than one kind. Well, you know, there's there's the there's, there's the closeted Nazis who 
who will sit at the table with an out, uh, out and, and open with Nazi and not say a word. And then there are those who will go step behind any little fascist fuckhead who uh, comes along. You know, I want to do a re- and, I want I want to do a reproduction of the urine colored snake flag. Only have it be pink. And I want I want the um, and and I want it spelled this way. I want the snake to be saying, "No step on snack." <laughs> I think the the gist of 51 idea that Annette had is brilliant. I'm hoping I'm hoping we can Uh, put I'm hoping we can put that into effect. It really needs to be on T-shirts. Dave, I'm going to roll along because I've got I got a couple of I got to hit a couple more news stories before the end of the program. Please give our fondest and kindest regards to Christine. Tell the boys down at the shop and Gladys and yes, young Eric the Dumber that we believe in him. He's got this. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that'll, that'll encourage Eric to, to not be so worried. And Gladys will like it. And who knows, she might even whip up an extra batch of the rum raisin oatmeal cookies. I'll try and, and get her to do that. But uh, we'll, we'll see, Robin. I love me some homemade anyway, oatmeal raisin cookies and... Tracy's out there cussing the raisins, even as we speak. Well, and, and and remember, Robin, gift snacks don't count against your blood sugar. Uh, true. You know, mine's been very. You know what mine was yesterday morning? Ninety. Morning? Yeah, I take it in the morning. Oh, oh, ninety. Ninety-two. Oh, that's good. I have. I haven't seen ninety in years in the morning. But last, uh, last uh, uh, Annette and I have become fond of the uh, Netflix series "The Diplomat," based on uh, Brother Bishop Steve from Georgia Stan, all around great guys. Recommendation: We're quite taken with it. And uh, the other day when I was in Beckley, I went to the little international market and I picked up some frozen paratha, and I uh, griddled up a couple of pieces of paratha, so that probably explained why it was 124 instead of 92 this morning. Because there's 15 grams. Well, no, there's 32 grams of carbs in every in every piece of that bread. 32? Yes, sir. Good lord! It's so, that's carb dense. Yeah, oh, it's so good though. You get your you get your iron skillet griddle so nice and hot, and then you put. And they have to be hard frozen. You put it hard frozen down there, and you just tap it lightly until it begins to melt and thaw. And where you've touched it, your your fingers will kind of be a little tacky, and it'll cause it'll ca- it'll cause the paratha to puff. Oh wow! And it's heavenly. Oh, don't get me started on food. I, I'm having enough trouble keeping my weight down. I understand. Um, all if, right, Robin, I'll, t- I'll, t- I'll talk to you later, and I'll let Christine know you, you said hey. Please do, and, and uh, uh, stay safe and warm. Here's to another 20 years. Exactly. Two shows in, so, right? I'll, I'll, yeah. I mean, what else are we going to do in our old age? <laughs> I know. All right, Robin, I'll... 
I'll talk to you later. All right. Take care, Dave. See ya. Our buddy Dave in the blind in Taliban, Indiana. Taliban, Indianapolis. Uh, look, there's a couple of things going on, um, and they kind of dovetail together. Uh, Kim in New York City sent this clip along to me, and it's a delight. Uh, Jared Moskowitz <laughs> talking to Ben Mycellus at Midas Touch. And the topic being, of course, Sporkfoot, uh, marginal trailer park queen. And she's had a rough day of it or so. We'll get to why in a second. But Jared Moskowitz has an acid wit. And I don't mean the hallucinogenic kind. I mean the kind that burns. But Republicans have the brilliant idea to make Marjorie Taylor Greene one of the impeachment managers? Yeah, listen, America is demanding more of Marjorie Taylor Greene. I hear it all the time. She's fabulous. Okay, just totally wonderful, charming, right? Just a real people person. Feel like you can connect with her on a real human level, right? Very level-headed, doesn't seem angry or bitter, sticks to the facts uh, and the truth. Uh, the darling, quite frankly, of the middle of the country. Uh, and so Republicans were like, let's feature her uh, on national television. In fact, let's put her in the Senate uh, and let her make the case on why we should impeach a secretary, which hasn't happened in 150 years. I think it's an excellent choice, really, by, by Speaker Johnson showing that he, he really is committed uh, to continuing to destroy uh, the 118th Congress. Oh, yeah, that was quality. So we've got that. And this all has to do with the impeachment of Alejandro Mayorkas, the Department of Homeland Security Secretary, who is apparently responsible for uh, the crisis at the southern border. which Mike Johnson's 118th Congress refuses to do anything about. Consider the clip from a little bit a little earlier in the program where Jehoshaphat uh, came perilously close to saying the brown word on live television. And so earlier today, Sporkfoot, stomped out of a hearing and and this is after even uh, even maggot senators were talking about how dumb this exercise was Kevin Kramer a maggot from North Dakota North Dakota stand said that uh, uh, what's rich to me uh, this is a conversation with uh, Huffington Post. What's rich to me is the speaker says the border bill in the Senate is dead on arrival, and then they proceed impeaching a cabinet secretary, which is obviously dead on arrival. But they're going to do the bidding of their uh, their orange skid mark over there in the House, and there's not much to be done about it. And and now, Sporkfoot is terribly, terribly upset about the fact that she's a dumbass and Democrats in the House and the Senate 
little bitty baby Democrats who can barely even talk, are all making fun of her. So she showed up on Real America's Voice and the War Room. And, well, Dave, we were talking. You, you might, you might get a note to Gladys to get the boys to work up a work up a, a, a quick number seven uh, for Marge because she's got the pogo stick out. Are you unclogging? Ah, uh, of course we got an ad. This powerful headlamp could save your life. Ah. Drew Taylor Green uh, joins us. Why is a congressman? Why is he so worked up? You, you really took some beating today. In fact, the Democrats, instead of a defense of Mayorkas, they really, in this debate that took place this afternoon, really went after you. Because it was easy. Harder than defending Mayorkas. Why was that, ma'am? That's right, Steve. I've been the Democrat punching bag. Uh, well, it's kind of been that way since I became a member of Congress, but especially through our debates in impeachment of Secretary Mayorkas. They would rather defend the man that has caused our country to be invaded by over 10 million illegal aliens with nearly 10 million gotaways. Among them, we don't know how many are terrorists that could actually carry out a terrorist attack here in the interior of our United States. Murder of Americans every single day. Rape, crime statistics like you've never seen before. 300 Americans murdered every single day by fentanyl trafficked across the country. They From the port of Los Angeles, Sporkfoot, but don't let the facts get in your way. And the murder rate is highest in uh, your blood red maggot state, sugar. Rather defend the man that has caused that to happen to the American people than than um, actually agree with me. Um, they defend him and attack me all day long and attack President Trump. Uh, you're hearing it. You're seeing it. Uh, it's it's in every single one of their speeches, and it's outrageous. She's butt hurt. Oh, she's so butt hurt. I was terrible. It was it was so it was so bad. That, well, in a hearing today, in the House Oversight Committee hearing, uh, uh, Representative Garcia, uh, a Democrat from California, Robert Garcia, decided to uh, take Sporkfoot to task. Chair now recognizing Mr. Garcia for five minutes. Thank you. That was a lot. Um, uh, I want to remind the, the gentle lady that it was her that actually organized a trip to the D.C. jail to hug and high-five and sit with the insurrectionists that actually attacked our Capitol. So if we're talking about the safety of D.C. and the Capitol, it's just quite, I think, ironic. This is all facts. This is quite ironic that uh, the insurrectionists that had tried to overthrow our government in the capital city um, were being coddled, were, being, were, were actually being coddled by, it's a, quite a shame that you called them political prisoners or hostages, I think maybe you called them. They're actually, they actually try to, they actually try to overthrow Chairman, our government. Let me continue Mr. with Chairman, my time. she's not recognized. Thank you. So I, I think it's quite um, interesting that- um, She got up and scampered off. The safety of D.C., uh, when she literally supported an insurrection, an attack on the Capitol, 
visited the prisoners. I, I was there as one of two Democrats there as part of that visit on behalf of this committee um, and seeing her high five uh, folks that want to overthrow our government. So quite. She scampered. She scampered off. Brave Miss Forkfoot ran away. No. Bravely ran away, away. I didn't. When facts they reared their ugly heads, she bravely turned her tail and fled. Yes, brave Miss Forkfoot chickened out. No singing. By the way, uh, Ralph's challenge, the $25 Jehoshaphat almost says the brown word on live TV challenge is on the table. If someone would like to meet it, we will knock our fundraising goal for this evening down to 250 bucks, and that would be fantastic. So thanks in advance if anybody uh, does that. Now what she was doggone upset about was the fact that she has made a complete, total, and utter and uh, entire fool of herself. And she wasn't the only one who was running away today. Because they had their impeachment vote, y'all, and this is kind of a big deal. This is a big deal. Mullah Moses Mike, Mikey Johnson did make Marge the public face of the impeachment for the first time in 150 years of the cabinet secretary, Alejandro Mayorkas. And he let it go forward knowing that he had a one-vote majority in the House of Representatives. It's wild. But then again, Mullah Moses Mike, I don't know, maybe he got upset and broke the, broke the tablets or some such. But they had their vote. And the maggots lost. They lost on an impeachment vote in a, in, a, in a body in which they hold a razor-slim majority. And they couldn't quite get it done. ABC News reporting breaking Republican-led resolution to impeach DHS Secretary Mayorkas over his handling of the southern border fails in the House. It, it was uh, kind of seismic, and it might signal the end of Mullah Moses Mike. It was not an impeachable moment anyway, because it's a matter of a policy dispute. Curiously, today, in the D.C. Circuit's ruling on immunity, they actually touched on this. Presidents enjoy, enjoy immunity for their discretionary acts while president acting in their executive capacity because you can't just let people run around suing the president for disagreements over policy. And the ruling today was entirely in line with that. Well, this was another policy dispute, but Mullah Moses Mike decided to let an absolute fucking moron run the show 
That was her payback for having supported him. And so Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin uh, Ralphs said she's pretty sure about this. Mike uh, Mike Gallagher from Wisconsin screwed the pooch on the impeachment vote, that from Democratic Underground. It may have some uh, it may have some procedural import but the thing is brave Sir Moses ran away no bravely ran away away I didn't he lost two huge votes today got his ass handed to him Jake Sherman over at Punchbowl News said, I've seen a lot of embarrassing days for different House Republican leadership teams. This one's pretty high on the list. They lost a vote to impeach Mayorkas, and then they lost a vote to send $17.6 billion to Israel. They didn't need to vote on the Israeli bill today. They knew it would fail. They chose to anyway. And then, well, the man who looks like rancid hot dog water smells said... This, i got to tell you, is an absolute catastrophe for Johnson. Absolutely devastating. Well, he, he, he probably ran away because he, he uh, didn't want to be publicly defenestrated. He was going, you, you do not have to shoot me now. You can take me home and shoot me later. They're getting rather terribly Stalinist there in the uh, Republican carcass. But maggots going to maggot, and they will follow their orange god-emperor all the way to perdition. And now the maggots are turning on none other than Sebastian Gorka, one of the darlings of Nitwit Nero and Maggot World. Gorka went after uh, today. Gorka went after. Uh, testicle-toasting Tuckio Rose Carlson, masculine man of masculine masculinity. Because, well, the masculine man of masculine masculinity was out there hustling an interview with Nitwit Nero's God Emperor, Vlad Pootypoot. And in fact, and, and if it ever happens to you, you know you've, you, you've stumbled into a, an absolute uh, cane break of stupidity. Seb Gorka got into it with the dumbest man on the Internet, 
Jack Prasobiak after he, Gorka, uh, went on X and posted an excrement saying, I remember, I remember when Americans didn't do PR for the KGB. Well, without being agents of the Kremlin. And then, uh, pose, without mentioning testicle toasting Tuckio Rose, he posted a a, a, a re-excrement about the masculine man of masculine masculinity's interview with Booty. And so the dumbest man on the internet then said uh, that uh, first he sold Tucker Carlson teas from his website. Now he's calling Tucker a traitor for holding an interview more like Sebastian Dorka. Oh, God, they're such fucking pathetic dweebs. They're just all a bunch of grown-up incels. So Gorka fired back and said, A reminder of the quality analysis of Jack Prasobiak is famous for in-depth research into the double glazing at Comet Pizza. So then, Prasobiak's army of maggots went after Seb Gorka. Gorka has had his time, it's over for him, and the other many past their prime influencers talking heads that still somehow they think they are relevant to our movement. It's time for him and others like his ilk to realize the new right don't need or want him. Never trusted that greasy sleaze. Gorka is controlled opposition. Come on, let's you and them fight. What's that, Emilio? I'm sorry, Jim. You have Seb Gorka. Why, Doc? Why? That's a somewhat vague but valid obligatory Star Trek reference for the evening. And at least one analyst is agreeing that uh, the uh, ongoing delay tactics of Nitwit Nero sort of took it on the chin today. Aaron Blake over at the Washington Post said uh, that by putting their ruling on hold only until this Monday and would remain on hold only if Trump appeals to the Supreme Court, that effectively means he could ask for an en banc review by the full appeals court first, but that wouldn't prevent Judge Tanya Chutkin from pressing forward. And then also agreeing... He said uh, the per curiam unanimous decision, quote, served notice that it wasn't a particularly close call. The judges over at the Washington Post, uh, that's where this comes from. Aaron Blake said, the judges noted that despite Trump's claim to absolute immunity, his own attorney effectively conceded that presidents aren't absolutely immune. Yeah, because they quoted that from the impeachment trial. Oops. 
Hope it doesn't hurt too little. And then there were the maggot judges who took a an axe handle to the man who wanted to be Attorney General of the United States, Jeffrey Clark, a low-level Justice Department uh, civil servant who is under indictment in Fulton County and is also uh, facing disciplinary proceedings by the D.C. Bar. And so all the way back to last June, Jeffrey Clark uh, moved the Court of Appeals to declare that the D.C. Bar doesn't have the authority to sanction him for lying about his effort to, well, to overthrow the government of the United States. Well, today, in another order, the three-judge panel two of whom were maggot appointees, said, Appellant has not shown that intervening developments warrant reconsideration of the denial of the stay pending appeal. Oops. And then, because it's Titanic Tuesday, we may as well uh, close with some truly titanic intellect. Here we go again. Uh, now that he's been schooled on his ongoing attempt to cripple the military of the United States, the man vying for the title of dumbest man or dumbest member of the United States Senate, because I don't want to I don't want to limit it to one gender, because Marshall Triple X Blackburn is always out there. Uh, Tommy the Tuber has. Because he's deeply, deeply, deeply committed to doing the hard work of representing the people of Alabama, has introduced a bill in the Senate of the United States. <sighs> it's so tiring. To ban trans girls from playing sports. And so he made the rounds of various maggot outlets today and eventually showed up uh, over on the couch at Fox News TV Radio Rwanda. I don't know if he was actually on the couch. No, he was standing there in the Senate. It was a stand-up. Where he was interviewed by Harris Faulkner and declared that, well, just get the hockey puck. Working. Here, this this is better. I gave you a little extra hockey puck time. It's the Examining Protection of Women in Olympics Act. 
state of Alabama introduced the Protection of Women in Olympics and Amateur Sports Act. And he also serves on the Senate Armed Services Committee. Great to have you in focus today. First of all, what does this bill do exactly? Well, first of all, Harris, I can't believe we're having to talk about this. Uh, coaching 40 years, uh, the, the best thing that's ever happened that come out of Washington, D.C. in sports is to protect women, uh, Title IX. But now this administration, especially the Democrats, are going after women. They attack women. They hate women. And so they're going after women's sports. And that's where it all starts. So uh, we want to protect women's sports. I put a bill out last year, Protect Women and Girls in Sports Act. Well, I bet you this dumb bastard has never watched a woman, a, 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 a women or girls sporting event all the way through. It didn't get to first base. Schumer wouldn't bring it to the floor. Now we're doing the same thing for the Olympics and amateur sports. It won't get to first base, but we're trying to bring the fact that 69% of the people in this country are totally against men playing in women's sports. I don't know where that 31% is from. Well, I'm totally against men playing in women's sports, too. Trans women aren't men. Not to put too fine a point on it that voted against it, but it is absolutely embarrassing that we got to this point where we're trying to tear down women's sports from little girls all the way up to possibly uh, pros that can make money in it. It's going to be a disaster. It's it's going to eliminate women's sports. They're trying to, uh, Joe Biden has tried to tear down Title IX. Uh, ever since he's been in office, he's put out laws against it. We're going to keep fighting it. We've got to hold on for another year, just like we're holding on for another year at the border, because we don't have much time left. I, I want to get into what President Biden and, and his official... No, let's don't, Harry. You ever wonder uh, how much the coach... I coach for 40 years. You ever wonder how much the coach, how much time, effort, money... He gave to women's sports anywhere that he was a football coach. And meanwhile, of course, Tommy the Tuber uh, is vehemently opposed to women actually controlling the workings of their own body, which brings me to the last word. And the last word goes to our dear friend, Joy, in Ann Arbor. Feeling a bit defeated and angry today, please allow me this. Joy, always. A woman's right to choose has become sort of meaningless vanilla pablum. May I suggest that we give it a little more sauce? Namely, a woman's right to choose not to be forced to give birth against her will. A woman's right to choose whether or not to loan her organs to the government. A woman's right to choose whether or not to risk her life for a stranger. A woman's right to choose whether or not to possibly wreck her body for a stranger. A woman's right to choose whether or not to let her body be used by a stranger to sustain that stranger's life. A woman's right to choose whether or not she considers the embryo inside of her body to be a welcome gift or a parasite. A woman's right to choose whether or not she ever wants to be a mother or not. And while I'm at it, we need to stop saying the life of the mother and start saying the life of the woman. Let's not call her that. In the same vein that you remind us to say spontaneous abortion 
instead of miscarriage. Reproductive rights and continued planetary warming are my two non-negotiable issues. If you have no agency over your own body, you have nothing. And without a habitat, our bodies cannot survive. Thanks, Robin Rocks. I feel better. Joy, thank you for that. I cannot thank you enough. That's profound and it's true. And that's the way that's the way we need to go about taking a fight to these miserable fucks. The same term that Joe Biden used to describe Nitwit Nero is equally applicable to Tommy the Tuber. Sick fuck. So that's the program for this Titanic Tuesday. Uh, going into tomorrow, if somebody meets Ralph's challenge, she said she will keep it going until someone does. Uh, going into tomorrow, we'll be at 550. Thank you. Thank you, Ralph's. And maybe the overnight crew will step in. That would be great if that was so. Thanks to our Patreon and PayPal subscribers. Thanks to our a la carte contributors. Thanks to those of you who put matching challenges on the table. Those of you who respond. Thank you, thank you, thank you. It is why this program has made it to 20 plus years. Thanks to each and every one of you who share your precious finite time engaging in the program in whatever manner you so choose. Thanks to our all-volunteer staff. Thank you. Thank you, Roger, in the chat room. Thank you to our news ninjas. Thank you, Brother Deacon Asa, head on dot live. Please. A little podcast sure does love a review, and it makes such a difference, and it costs nothing, and it's easy to do. Something as simple as, I love this show. I love this program. Because I hear that a lot. If the algorithms see that, more people will see the program. So like, subscribe, leave a comment, leave a review. Thank you, John Fox in Australia. Thank you, Ben Birch, WhiteRoseSociety.org. Thanks to the hardest working, bravest people I know, the folks at Coal River Mountain Watch, CRMW.net. 20-plus years at the forefront of the struggle for human rights and environmental justice in Appalachia and a proud union shop. Please stay safe. By the way, I think my birthday fundraiser is still going on. And again, there's $216 to go to meet the goal for that birthday fundraiser. Uh, That would be most helpful because there are no... $300,000 salaries at Coal River Mountain Watch. Just dedicated people busting their ass to save Central Appalachia. Please stay safe. Get your booster if you haven't already. Join the happy 15% of Americans who had the common good sense to get a booster. Wear your mask if you're around maggots because, well, they're a viral lot and not in a good way. Wash your hands, don't touch your face, use your hand sanitizer, carry it with you, pocket or purse. Maintain your social distance as best you can. And uh, 
Well, if Tommy the Tuber comes towards you down the sidewalk saying, Democrats hate women, that's why they want them to be able to control their own bodies. Avoid Tommy the Tuber like the plague, because he is. And always, 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 Gina, it's all for you. Love you, Wayne. Later. <laughs>